If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Ah, uh, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is DJ Jelly right here, Eight Town. You already know I just jumped off the porch with Dirty Glove Bastard. Right, so we got an Atlanta legend on Off the Porch with us today, man. Welcome, DJ Jelly. Man, that's what's up. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, straight no, up. I appreciate glad you swinging by there. today, too, man. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So, man, we got a lot of history to go through. Yeah. So, I don't I, know if we got enough time today. Yeah, you know, no. we, you know, we're going to get through the main parts, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> have you come back and really break some of this stuff right. down, man. Right. But, you know, just doing my research, um, I had no idea. You're not even from Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> from St. Louis. From St. Louis. Okay. St. Louis. So, like, how would you describe, like, your upbringing? When would you say you jumped off the porch in St. Louis? I mean, I jumped off the porch. I mean, I was straight, you know, family, middle class, you know. I was good. You know, they made sure I was straight. You know, okay. and you know, and I was the kind of person in my neighborhood where I would get all the kids together and put on shows in my neighborhood really? all the time in the backyards, neighbors, all that. That's what I did. Okay. You know. So did you? You know, I hear a lot of DJs. They said they started out rapping at first. Was that you? No, or were you no. Always... I started break dancing. Really? I was okay. break dancing. I was straight <laughs> spinning all that. I was on it. Windmills. That was, that was my thing. So. Okay. Then I got into rapping. Really? Well, I, I started DJing first, and then I got into a, a, a little little uh, thing of rapping when I was just freestyling, listening to Red Man, whatever. I was just on it, like oh, wow. probably early 90s. When I started doing the mixtapes, we would just be hanging out at like Club Nicky's, me and my boys, Voodoo and everybody, and just busting rhymes. You know? oh, that's hard right there, man. So where does your love for DJing come from? Like, who were some of your influences that you had looked up to? Uh, like, man, so, I mean, some of my influences, man. I mean, definitely, you know, Grandmaster Flash, um, you know, how he would put stuff together. I was fascinated by that. Um, Cutmaster K from St. Louis, that's the old triple OG who really took me under his wings. I carried his records and I uh, used to turn up the parties and get to the women. But I really was listening to how he was putting stuff together, which mm. fascinated me because he would he was doing like mashups before they were known, you know, before we categorize them as mashups. He would mix yeah. all Twisted Sister with uh, Minnie Rippleton, all kind of crazy stuff, but it would be some really interesting stuff. And he was oh, wow. known for a lot of mixing, so that kind of influenced me. And then, of course, when I came to um, Atlanta, MC Assault had a lot of influence as well. He would, you know, in terms of psychology and how to think about how people react to stuff. So, okay. So, that kind of, those kind of combinations of things. Gotcha. So what motivated that move down here to Atlanta? Uh, man, I was, I mean, I tell the story and it was really this simple. My mother was reading Essence Magazine, you know, in black households, you know, you know, the Ebony's and the Essence Magazine is very important. So she was reading it, Jet, all that, but she was reading the Essence Magazine. It was like Bobby Brown builds a three point gazillion dollar home. I was like, oh, that's where I'm going. Yeah, I just literally, I could, I could see myself looking over her shoulder right now. She's sitting at the couch and I was like, I'm gone. I got a dip. And it was just on some a connection. And that's all it was huh. that simple. And I just got the hell on because I was just graduating high school and it was time for me to just make make some move. Actually, I was from community college, so I had to make some moves. I was like, man, I got to, I got a dip. OK, so I had to get the hell out. This was like 88. Oh, wow. 89. Yeah. 
Can you paint that picture of what the Atlantic music scene looked like? Because it's not like what it is today. Uh, with a lot of opportunities. So let me get past the trees first. All the trees everywhere. It was way more trees than it is now. Like it was like, man, when I go to when I used to go to college in uh, Midtown, Atlanta College of Art, I used to, when I go to Stone Mountain, I used to just thought I was like way out of the country, right? It was nothing but country, nothing but trees. But anyway, it was like all bass music. Okay. It was all boot. Let me let me rewind. You still had people like Hard Boys. Shouts out to all of them over there. Everybody over that way. Um, Dallas. Um, you had um, the Capers. Um, Kurt. Shouts out to Rashida and Kurt. You know, they've been putting in work. Um, a lot of Boucher, of course, your Kilos, Raheem's, you know, the, these are the, the pillars of the A, you know, had it was cracking in. And Luke, Luke really ran the influence of Luke's Uncle Luke. Okay, yeah. His influence just really just, you know, the strip clubs, it just, the booty shake, the Miami bass was really a big influence at that time. Yeah. And um, man, man, it was, it was, it was Sammy Sam the Hitman. Okay. Can't yeah. forget about Sammy Sam the Hitman. He is the godfather of the street, zone three and all that, man. So, yeah. So it was, it was, it was, it was party music and it was hard music. You know, you still have people rapping, but party music was really strong. And then the whole culture of yeek, yeeking, the, hmm. you know, the yeek and the dancing. Now, you know, Atlanta is really, that is a big part of Atlanta culture. Absolutely. It's the yeeking. Yeah. So, yeah, it was partying. And at this time, there was no rap radio station at the time, There was right? no rap radio. They had the, the fresh... Um, uh, my man them had on V103 had like an hour and I'm forgetting it. It just leave my mind. Um, but uh, it was no rap really. Which is like unheard of or unthinkable well, to think I mean, that in Atlanta there it's was un- no rap. Yeah, station. it's unthinkable now, but it wasn't. <laughs> and that's, that's where me and MC Assault came in. I know I'm kind of jumping up, but the whole MC, DJ Jelly MC Assault mixtape. Yeah. You know, we, we basically provided the soundtrack of rap music from all around, and we was running that in the streets. We was slinging that like dope. Yeah, and you end up getting hired at Magic City, right? Got, got my first job in Magic City after I got fired from Bobby Brown's studio. <laughs> Believe it enough how, you know, the universe worked. I ended up getting an intern at Bobby Brown's studio when I first came to Atlanta okay. in college. And then I got fired twice. Shouts out to people Bryson who saved me the first time for getting fired OG. But I ended up getting hired at uh, Magic City. That's where my DJing really started kicking off. So what did Magic City look like back then? Magic City was crazy. Shouts out to DC, the Brain Supreme, whoop, there it is. Fame, he hired me. Oh, wow. Shouts out to him, I ain't got nothing but love. Always, every time I always give him love. Um, <laughs> it was nothing but booties. And the, music, and the music was moving fast. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the stuff now where they just kind of, they bullshit now, but it was, it was fast paced, a lot of money, a lot of, lot of uh, money flying in the air, a lot of money sticking to the bodies because they sweating so hard, they dancing so hard. And you know, it was, it was, really, it was really entertaining, man. It was like watching them, uh, like, like the movie Casino, when people walk in, you see all this oh, wow. money going everywhere. And you know, and the, it just, it was that kind of thing. It was, it was very festive, it was incredible. So it's always been one of the bigger clubs in Atlanta then, right? Yeah, yeah. right now, I mean, you know, it's, it's an Atlanta staple. Like, yeah, it's an Atlanta staple. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because you still have stuff like Purple Onion and all the Nicky's and all the different ones that was cracking. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was happening. That was my first, that was my real introduction to Atlanta culture. Okay. I was working at Magic City. I was going to college, but, you know, 
working at Magic City, I you know, just started learning everything, musically and everything, which blew my mind because coming from St. Louis, I get down here and set it off is still a huge record. Yeah. Uh, Planet Rock, you know, that, that, those were the, the songs that really drove the vibe of the sound in Atlanta at that time. Yeah. That fast tempo. So were you having artists come up to you while you were DJing at uh, Magic City? Absolutely. I remember Kilo coming in. He was okay. in high school. Shouts out to um, <laughs> King, um, to Jarvis, his manager. You know, they, they came in there. He was in high school. He bought the cocaine record, which now Beyonce sampled on her, on her album. Yep. So I remember when he came in there with the, with the 12 inch. You know, it was crazy. You know, he's out of high school, but you know, we, it was wild. That's wild. Yeah. Real. Yeah. And this is around the time you get into making mixtapes, right? This is this was right before I got into making these okay. tapes because I was basically DJing, learning, learning how to um, deal in strip clubs. I had never DJ in the strip. And I lied to DC about, yeah, I know how to DJ in the strip club. I lied. But I would go and just sit on other people's um, sets and learn uh -huh. and sit and absorb it. And, then, you know, I finally got it going. But this is right before I met MC Assault, which, you know, we end up doing the mixtape a year later. Okay. I started getting kind of buzzed at the club. People were like, oh, you know, because I can mix well. And then I ran into MC Assault. And then my shots at my boy Freddie B on the track, on Camp. You know, it, we, we end up creating something else from that, from the mixtape to that. So. Yeah. Was Assault already doing mixtapes when you met him? Uh, nah, but he, had, he was DJing. He was a retired DJ. He was really rapping. He did Triple OG. And he was, <laughs> you know, he was kind of the mastermind that was like, you know, we need to do this and that. And we started getting into the mixtape because he was looking for a DJ at that time. Okay. So what was the mixtape culture like back then? Um, was it big? Was this like was, a thing people... It was huge. It was, yeah. I mean, you had the J team. You had King Air with J, shots out to J, Lady DJ, Smurf, everybody, Kizzy Rock, T-Bone. I mean, they was running the street. They had the streets on lock, hmm. straight from the east side. And they, they, were, doing the, they were doing the tapes kind of how they was doing the southern version of what drama did with his tapes which is a new york concept where you talking shit yeah. all on tape um of course a lot of the miami boys they was already up on that and they were doing a lot of vocals our thing was more of a production me and the salt we basically it was like a production who needs an alarm in the morning when mcdonald's has sausage egg and cheese mcgriddles and a breakfast cut off you have scratching, mixing, remixing. We would basically really literally break the music without having to talk all over the record. Okay. People would stick it in, they were getting experience musically. Yeah. That's what really set us off different from any other the DJs that existed in the Atlanta scene period. How were you getting these mixtapes out? Because obviously this is pre-internet, man. Yeah, this I mean, we were- Before we YouTube, anything like that, so. Man, I cannot believe we were working the streets Sunday through Sunday, hmm. going to Maddox Park, up down Simpson Road. We would walk and have bags and bags of cassettes. Cassette tapes. Cassettes, oh wow. Cassette tapes. It was for real, y'all. We had bags of them. And we, it'd be a crew of us, four or five of us. Shouts out to Starving Marvin. We would go and slang these tapes every day. How much were you guys selling them for at the We're time? We were selling for $10. Oh, shit. And, and, beating, them, and beating them up. We'd go re-up, buy more tape decks. <laughs> you know, I used to have a room where it was nothing but rolls and rolls of tape decks. And we would have people there working and... Dubbing them. Dubbing them. 24-7. Everybody have shifts. Come in. Wow. It was We were really working. <laughs> Sunday through Sunday. I mean, I look back on that shit like we would do the, do the mixtapes. we go sell the mixtapes. i hit the clubs. Like, all that. 
go to college, like all that. Oh, wow. 24-7. Whew. Thank God I'm, a, I'm still alive. Yeah, and <laughs> we in the digital era. We're in the digital era now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, we really did a lot of um, groundwork Absolutely. as far as musically. It really helping a lot of artists in Atlanta, really breaking the music in Atlanta and breaking other music from other places to Atlanta. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the Memphis stuff, shots out to BF, my road manager, he would go on the road, get everything, Arkansas um, to New York, everywhere. We would get this music and just put in our shit because oh, wow. we didn't have hip hop radio in the early 90s. So I would, we would literally, those DJ Jelly MC Assault mixtape were like the Bible and a radio station for that time. And we was in the streets slanging them and breaking everybody on them. So you guys were really changing the game, but like you said, by going to different cities and finding this music, because like you said, there was Cash no money, you know, before they, you know, a lot of these artists before they even really blew up, a lot of the old Master P stuff, oh, when yeah. you're still on the West Coast, a lot of the Texas stuff we would bring back, a lot of the, a lot of the Memphis music, like um, Juicy and uh, Paul and we used to come to our flea market booths. Really? Bringing a uh, hip, hypnotized mind tapes yeah, and they all just that. had like volume 10 or some shit like that. That's how they were yeah. doing about. Yeah. Paul Walden used to come to us, you know, when we had the stores. Because eventually from doing the mixtapes, we were going and started creating these stores. We started in flea market spots. Then we started doing storefronts. So a lot of the artists through the 90s would just come, bring their music, you know. Yeah. It was, you know, we were doing the, kind of the ghetto Starbucks. Yeah. That was the Big Goom record stores. That's what we ended up creating. So Big Goom. How do you get introduced to him and how does this relationship form? Man, shouts out to Big Lee. Um, he ended up putting uh, Big Oomp with us and Assault. You know, they ran, they came, they saw Starving Marvin Assault in the park, slinging the tapes. Big Lee was like, man, you get with them boys. They really own their stuff. I think y'all might better put something together. And, and Oomp really got down and was like, shoot, I got some bread. What y'all want to do? Let's uh -huh. open some stores. You know, what y'all want to do? Okay, let's create a label, you know. So I was like, man, we should do a regular, so let's do it. So we were just, you know, everybody was, you know, spanking out of high school and just was just doing whatever. Like, let's just try the shit. Yeah. And you guys just started with flea markets, right? You started just with flea markets. Get we, one spot right there. We started with flea markets, then we start wholesaling to all the, all the different stores, oh, all wow. the different car stereo stores. Shouts out to uh, Tobago, DBS Sound, one of our first wholesalers. We would just start just sewing up the whole city, east side, west side, south side, you know, north side. We would just go everywhere and, and put them tapes down. Uh -huh. And it was like cracks. And then, you know, during that time, our biggest competition besides the J team was DJ Clue. Okay. Because he was banging them up. You know, he was bringing that New York. And, um, and of course, Screw Rest in Peace, the whole, you know, all of them chopped and screwed Mike Watts. You know, those are kind of the juggernauts at that time along with us. We were breaking right through that. Were they bringing their tapes to Atlanta? Yeah, somebody, somebody was bringing it for them. You know, somebody was <laughs> yeah. obviously, you know, doing that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's Man, wild. It was, was some really good stuff going on during that mixtape scene at the time. This is the early 90s. You know, it was crazy. Then we had the Freaknik. So all that was okay. just really jumping off and really getting out because of, like, Freaknik. Yeah. People really like, oh, shit. Because that kind of opened the door, you know, people's eyes to what was going on. And they were coming up here for Freak Nick, and they were like, well, what type of music y'all be what on? What the right? hell are you playing? A jelly tape? What the fuck is a jelly tape? They was, <laughs> you know, it, it was really, you know, it was like that because people was like, what the fuck is this shit? But it was really showing, giving you, our mixtape was basically showing you these are our neighborhood. You can hear it in the music and the artists that we had on the tapes at that time. Yeah. People would be introduced, whether it was Outkast or whatever, they'd be like, wow, they go back oh, to California. Like, Man, this jelly tape got all this shit on I ain't never heard, you know. <laughs> but the way we mixed it up, 
and our technique and how we produced it was second to none. Nobody, you know, even to this day, like musically, like yeah, it was, we were blessed to really, you know, create shit like that. Absolutely. And we influenced a lot of people like Lil John. Shouts out to Lil John, who you know who would hear how we would take hard beats and mix it with melodic stuff. So that started influencing the music in Atlanta. Yeah. How you can you know, the possibilities of how you can create production. That's, that's what the tapes did for a lot of the producers here. Styles of the Shorter Red, it just gave them the possibility, like, oh, damn, if I put this with this, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, Crisscross, they, they blow up. What oh, you think man. of Crisscross? Crisscross blew up right when, we, right when we first started doing the mixtapes. Okay. I mean, Jermaine Dupree, you know, he did, he did his thing. He was, mm-hmm. With, that was a, that was just a whole nother level, you know. They going out on tour with Michael Jackson, like, <laughs> damn, these little boys right up the street, you know. Shouts out DJ Nabs, who's on road with my partner Nabs. I mean, that was just a phenomenal time, you know. Just everybody was breaking out on in their own, you know, space mm-hmm. and really pushing the music forward without realizing. Well, I didn't realize what we were all doing at that time. I was just enjoying it, like, man, let's just try this shit. Yeah. So how do you get introduced to Outkast? Um, I got introduced to Outkast. Shout out to my boy Darren Davis, who really was, he was doing a lot of the records. Talib, what's happening? They were breaking, they were doing a lot of um, street team work. At that time, street teams, you know, uh, getting the music out. And they, um, they kind of, the first time, it's funny, um, I forgot if it was Dre or somebody, they came to me at the flea market. They was like, man, we're going to go on tour. We need a DJ, blah, blah, Ooh. blah. And I was like, man, I, I love to, because I had started really breaking their music on V103 at that time, because I had got to end up getting a little mix show in the early 90s in 93. Okay. And I just started, you know, during that time, it was a lot of New York and West Coast. I started playing a lot of the. So you had Free Rain at VO? I did. Okay. And I started breaking the music, but they came to me moving forward. They were like, we're going to go on the road. We need DJ. And I was like, man, I, I love to, but we had started building all our fleet markets, me and MC Assault, and then we yeah. started creating big records. Okay. So I was just like, man, I, I just can't. You know, it's like my hands were tied. I was just straight up. I was excited, but so I kind of met him through that. And Darren, he started um, connecting me with him more and um, started breaking a lot of music. And then Goody Mob happened, and then I became Goody Mob's first road DJ. So that kind of full circle a couple of yeah. years after that. So yep. that was a blessing. Which Outcast record were you breaking on the radio at the uh, The first album. Shoot, the second album, too. Okay. Um, the Elevators, let's, I'm going to keep it 100. I know they, well, um, Quest Love don't know no better, but Andre 3000 and Big Gip came to me. I was DJing at Hot 107 at the time. I don't know if it was Labor Day. I forgot when it was. But anyway, they came to me. They was like jelly. They came with a yellow. They came with an album that was just yellow. We need <laughs> was it Gip help. or Big Boy? Huh? Was it Big Gip or Big, Big no, Boy? No, it was... It was Andre and Gip, they came, okay. both of them came to the radio station. Okay. Jelly, we need your help, because I just got the tour with Goody Ma's first tour. Gotcha. They're like, man, we need some help. We need this record played. I got up there, and at that time, we used to have mix shows, man. I DJ like four or six hours on, oh, wow. on the air. So I got the record, I'm bumping it, that shit sounded weird. It got the little, the hot, the rim on it with the echo on it. I'm like, damn, this shit dope. This is different. elevators. Yeah, this is different. Man, I played that record about an hour straight. Oh, wow. Then I went to mix it, came back, played another hour straight, bumping it. L.A. Reid calls my program director, like, he need to get up off that radio. We need that shit to stop ASAP. And my program director, like, well, no, nah, that's Jelly. He do what he do. 
So shout so out. So L.A. Reid didn't know they brought you this record. Man, he was 38. He was hot. Because <laughs> one, from now I'm understanding, he didn't like the record, the way it sounded. Really? And two, just because it started getting out, that started bringing up the release date on the, on the second album. <laughs> so, hey, it is what it is. But it was, you know, to be in, in, in cahoots and with all them folks, man, it's just been, it's been a beautiful journey, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And I'm, the, and I'm the kind of person, I'm a fan of music first. Even before the artist, if I'm hearing something, I get excited. That's the kind of person I want everybody to hear what I hear. I'm like, oh, this shit is crazy. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was some groundbreaking shit musically. So what was it like touring with Goody Mob at the time? Goody Mob, that was real interesting. That was my first time I toured with a group. And it used to be so funny because I always remember the story. Like, we would be in places and CeeLo be like, man, I don't want to do this damn cell therapy no more. I'm so tired of this shit. But, you know, he didn't realize if you have a hit single. Yeah, this is on BET. This is on MTV. This is where You know, because goes. he's thinking of an artist. Man, I want to do this and that. But um, it, it was real cool. Shouts out to Cool Joe because... Cujo was like my rock on the road. Like he, you know, Cujo real calm, you know, smart. He, you know, he got perspective and, and, and it was it was dope rocking with Cujo and Timo, definitely. Uh-huh. But um, shouts out to Big Gip. Like it was it was good. It was good. It was a good run for me that first year. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, and then after that, I ended up going to Hot when Hot came to okay. the city. New hip hop station. This was '97. Okay. Yeah. New hip hop station. Everybody was excited. I got on board. Um, of course, I was mad because uh, P Diddy was coming down here trying to run the city. So I wanted to. I wanted to, to, I wanted to boycott too, against him. Yeah. And you know, people was like, "No, Jelly, don't do that." I, I was very opinionated. But anyway, everything worked out. You know, shots out to that whole bad boy. It was, you know. Was the city embracing Diddy when he came down? They, they were, they were, but you know, and of course we didn't understand how hardcore the politics was at that time. You know, I'm just fresh out of college. So, you know, I didn't really understand how serious that the politics behind, you know, labels was at that time. And that particular one was just juggernaut. You know, it was just, he was coming here steamrolling. I was like, man, fuck that shit, you know. But uh, everything worked out, man. Yeah. Here we are. So, Uncamp Records launches. Um, 95. 95. Who were the first artists? Yeah, Hitman uh, Sammy, right? No, Major Bank. Okay. Shouts out to MCSO. That was his group. Loco the Lunatic, Starving Mario. So, it was like a, a gangster NWA uh, Atlanta group. And it didn't really do too much. Huh. But, you know, we tried to get it out. We started, but we did start developing the Uncamp sound from that, hmm. which was dope. Sammy Sam came and just set it off. Cause he the straight OG hood hero and um, and Oom loved Sammy Sam. And, and Sam. I learned a lot from Sam. And Sam just, Sam being what he is in the street for real and hooking, hooking up with Oom, it just, that just made sense. And it just, it was a rap after that. Yeah. It was a rap. It, it just put the label on the map. Oh, absolutely. Cause you guys already had so much motion in the city. Right. And now that you guys are launching your own Now bars, we got the, yeah, not yeah, And we started, Getting into the, like I said, the label thing, just because we would take people like Baby D, who was a kid, putting them on my mixtape, rapping, doing, the, doing all my intros. We was like, man, we got to work on the album for them. That's yeah. what we would do. Everything started from the DJ Jelly MC Salt mixtape. And that's how we started creating these artists. And it 
it, it just took off once we just say, okay, we're going to do the label. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, the Olympics come in 96. What, what was that like in the city? Um, it was so crazy because we weren't paying attention. We were basically building big room records. Hmm. So we, we knew it was there and existed, but we were all in the hood working, you know, it, you know, doing all the clubs, the five, five nines and doing our parties and developing our arts at the time. So we really had no connection with that, even though it influenced the city, obviously. Yeah. But we had a better, we resonated more with the Freaknik stuff. Okay. Yeah. Because still, we didn't benefit from that. Yeah. Cause we it, didn't. Yeah. It just brought a lot of people it to the brought, city. It just brought more, it just brought more people on top of whatever, with all play, things like Freaknik and everything else is, was put in place at that time. Yeah. So it just kept building up. Understood. Um, then crunk music comes to Atlanta. Crunk music comes to Atlanta. Correct. What was that era like? What was it like in the clubs at that time? Man, chaos. Uh, <laughs> people were getting their head busted, the energy. Because, you know, you, a lot of people and a lot of OGs, I wish I could talk to somebody because they'd be tripping. They'd be talking about how the kids are influenced by the music that's going on now. Shoot, back then it was, you know, we had the crunk. She was just like crazy. You know, everybody was way up here in you know, terms of the vibe and being chaotic and obnoxious. So, you know, it was all that going on. And, um, you know, shouts out to Memphis, because Memphis had a lot of influence on that crunk. It's just that what Atlanta does is just take it and create its own thing. You know what I'm saying? Real so that's what ends up happening. So the crunk era was crazy, 559. It was a lot of fights. It was crazy. The, the bounce, Pastor Troy, Baby D, East Side, West Side. So everybody was, there was a lot of, um, it was a lot of vibing going on there at that time. A lot of people coming into town. Skinny Pimp, Tommy Wright okay, yeah. used to come and hang out at the house, all that. And just vibe, get on the mixtapes. So it was a lot of going, a lot of Memphis, a lot of Atlanta things going on during that yeah. time. Yeah, when Baby D sat on the porch, he mentioned like, there was like, you even just said there's a lot of fights, but it didn't go past that usually. Yeah, it wasn't nobody going to their car and shooting somebody right away or something. It, wasn't, it, it didn't get to that. That's, that's what's so crazy. I'm talking people get busted in the head, blood, oh, but it wasn't no to the car and start blowing up the club and shooting the club up. Yeah. Damn. That's, I'm up here, th now I'm really thinking like, wow, and it was crazy. You would think it would lead to something right. like that, right? It, was that. it wasn't none of that. So. so what was like breaking baby D, man? Oh man, he used to get on my nerves so bad, man. <laughs> And you know, he was a kid, man. But he was, the thing was, he was very persistent and I respect that. Like he was, he was on it. Every shout it, shout it, what's up, man? Shout, I mean, I got this idea, man. Shout, let me get on this tape. Let me. He would not stop, nonstop, every day. Come onto the flea markets, call me, he was on it. So, you know, he was right with me. You know, I'd take him to the strip club and they were in high school and shout out to um, Lil C, rest in peace. Um, they would come, I would just take them to the strip clubs with me. They were 16, 15. Oh, wow. People would let them, all right, Jelly. You know, they can't be in all day, but they used to hang. But, you know, they would absorb so much. And they really work hard. And when I think of Baby D, I'm thinking of Lil C because he was his yeah. right-hand man and he was, did a lot of his Baby D's writing. Hmm. So it was, they were, to me, they were inseparable. And they really created something different. And Baby D was so always so fly, like his swag, he was, Way before Migos, any of them, he was really that dude who kind of set that vibe off. And he from the east side, so they always fashion. <laughs> you know, he's, he's going to be like that. He's going to do his thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, Baby D, I love him to death. Uh, great artist, you know what I'm saying? 
not yeah. too much to say. Yeah, let's talk about Lil C for a second, man. So, like, what type of person was he, you know, outside of the music? I mean, C, C, headstrong, but he, you know, he was, you know, he's influenced, like, Baby D was like his big brother, so he always tagged along Baby D, so that kind of sums that up, you know, because Baby D was getting all the women, he was fly, so obviously Lil C was right, right behind him like this, <laughs> you know, wide open, but um, yeah. He was headstrong. He was, he was, Lil C was loyal. Period. Yeah. Honest. Long live Lil C, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so them franchise boys, D4L, they start popping off. What did you think of this music when it first hit the city? I thought it was the shit. I mean, this whole pool palace experience. Yeah. And you know, parlaying them, they was hard with their stuff. So, you know, that, you know, just like Sammy Sam doing bass records, he was hard. He was still street. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that whole pool palette experience was was pretty dope. You know, it was exciting. You know, each, each time a movement starts, you know, just everybody in the city just, you know, stand up even more. You know, each with each one, crunk, yeah. snap, all that. Each time a movement starts, everybody just get, chest gets bigger and bigger. And I mean that in a good way, a proud <laughs> yeah. way. Um, the whole outcast era, the big oomp era, you know, just the city just kept building up like this. Yeah. It was crazy. Talk to us about the pool palace, man. Like, what did it look like on a Saturday night at the pool uh, palace? Packed, you know, wall to wall, sweating. It was a smaller version of the 559. It was like an old, uh, it reminded me of one of them old Alabama country town clubs with all the mirrors and stuff where you could just see yourself and dance, you know, but, um, I mean, it, you know, it, it was the hood spot and people would be up in that bitch 24-7, you know. Yeah. Shouts out to T-Rock, you know, DJ, you know, he was the basically the OG DJ of that era. Um, yeah, man, excitement. Nothing but excitement, man. And the, and the dancing, getting back to the dancing, the swag, you know, because Atlanta has a big dance culture and people don't talk about it enough. And it's yeah. like from the yeek to the snapping to the pool palace, the vibe is, you know, the movements, you know, the beef it up, all that. Like that's just, that's Atlanta is, is about that. It's about showing off. It's about celebrating. It's about dancing. Dancing is just one of them elements that's important about Atlanta's music. Yeah. And they go hand in hand. Yeah, Parlay was telling me like so many different groups were coming out Premiering the songs at the pool palace, and yeah. then the shit was taken off. That was, yeah, it was just, it was just, it was just different. And they was in that side of town, the west side. They was just mm -hmm. like, damn, that shit hitting. Like each each one, what you know, whatever, man. K, shouts out to, shouts out to K Rab too, man. I'm, K Rab, K Rab, man, nothing but respect for K Rab. He really, yeah. he was working. He was that scientist in there creating that sound, that yeah, minimalistic shit. sound. You know what I'm saying? That. Fruity Loop. Yeah, he thing. was like the first one to really use Fruity Loops and make it. He was on it. This. And he helped everybody musically Real shit. during that time. And then, of course, Unk came along, and we came with a more souped up sound to the yeah. Blue Palace era and created our thing, which was our, really our first huge major hit as a label yep. following that. Yeah, so, talk about mm -hmm. Walk It Out. Walk What'd it you out. think when you first heard this record? I mean, I knew it was jamming, and it, and it took me an oomph almost two years to really get that record out, out. 
Like yeah, a lot, lot of phone calling, yeah. not a, a lot of pulling up on. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's. Folks in Florida pulling up on people, giving the, you know, during that time, you know, you had to hit the road, you know. Um, walking out, I knew it was something special when I heard it. And, and it's so crazy because it just came off the heels of another group we had who disbanded at uh, uh, Intoxicated. Okay. Be yeah. Real, Charlie Beasley, who had that walk it like you want to talk. And this yeah. is old four before Migos. Shouts out to uh, coaching them. Thank you for our uh, settlement. But anyway, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, and the BMI award for it too. Right. right? BMI, I mean, it was now it's just. The production, shouts out to DJ Monte, my little bro, like it was something going on in, as far as the energy and the sound of the music of, that was coming from us at that time and just kept really building, right? And uh, and and Unk, he was dedicated, he was doing the mixtapes with me and MC Assault, so he was part mm-hmm. of the Southern Style DJ, our crew, DJ Monte. So he was like, man, I don't want to just be DJ, I want to be out in front, I want to be rapping. And he would, he'd be at the crib and you know, listen to all these chopped and screws and all this real, real rapping and metaphors. And like I said, Paul Walden was coming visiting us at our record store in South Cobb and me and Unk would always be there. Mm-hmm. And they, all this stuff started influencing him as far as rhyming. He's like, man, fuck that. Intoxicated just broke up, I, I'ma take the wheel. It was like, Unk was like, okay, oh, okay. <laughs> and it was a rap. Everybody's energy was just on point because Intoxicated really was about to come up. Baby D was locked up. Tosca was about to really blow, and then they just, it, they just, it was a wrap hmm. for a lot of reasons. Then Unk stepped in and didn't miss a beat. Yeah. It was a wrap. Did you tour with Unk too? Of course. Okay. Of so course. what was that experience like going all across the country? I mean, that one? it's so funny because right before Unk blew up, uh, me and Monte was on the road a lot, traveling the world, Germany, Japan, oh, wow. Europe as DJs, because of course the internet wouldn't crack and crack it. So we would come with that Atlanta shit. <laughs> um, so shout out to BF, our road manager. Um, um, we would be off in places like China, Beijing, you know, kicking it, Greece. And you know, the people go crazy because, especially like in Asia, because they like instructional records. You know, and they, and they <laughs> love it, walk, you know, walk it out in the um, uh, downtown, do it, you know, because yeah. Unc was on the remix and stuff. like. They loved it and they ate Unk up with that because he, he was an instructional dance man. But if you really listen to Walk It Out, he is really, his verses, he really rapping. Yeah. He really spitting, but he just found a hook. They got clever with it um, and it was a rap. And it was, it was just, it was pandemonium, man. Yeah. That was our first, we really broke through because before that we was straight, you know, we was local, we was regional. And that's and we kept it in house. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a little success with Sammy Sam a little bit, but then Unk just knocked down the door, and that was you know it was a wrap. That did was, he sign with a major? I huh? can't I can't remember. Did he sign? Yeah, with we a ended major? up doing a deal with Koch. Okay, okay. So yeah. I mean, we we really worked hard. Shouts out to Shadow and D. We worked hard. Yeah. And and then we broke through, and then of course after that, a lot of other stuff started happening musically, to the um, production for Flow Rider and all that. You know, creating those hits. You know, just. Yeah, we started working more behind the scenes mm-hmm. and really helping people, you know. And come back to Atlanta, then trap music hits the scene. Trap music, well, trap music, you know, T.I. claimed it. It was already out before that. We just didn't call it trap. Yeah. I mean, niggas was in a trap rapping. Um, you know, 
man, CMP, I, that's what I think of that hard, but it was already on that. But T.I. claimed it. So I, it's marketing, I get it. You know, cause everybody land was like, well, we already been doing it, but he really yeah. said it was trap music and really branded it. And that was smart. Um, trap music was happening. I mean, T.I., I just say T.I. really was happening. You know, as far as I knew him since he was about 14, you know, same attitude. Oh, really? Same attitude, funky. He did one of my birthday parties. Him and, him and his crew, and they was 14, 13. We had to bring them through the back door at the 559. Really? And they performed on stage, because he was like, man, I rap better in them um cam niggas. And I bought them in, he did the party, and they rocked it. Yes, they sir. rocked it. And then we had to take them back out the door. <laughs> they couldn't stay, huh? You know, but it's all history, and it was happening. And now he, he always had that attitude and that demeanor. Yeah. I'm like, that's what's up, Tim, and he broke through. Uh-huh. Um, then, of course, Jeezy. Oh man, Jeezy, I mean, he came with that shit. I was just, that blew me away. You know, uh, Lil C really was turning me on to Jeezy. Cause we had messed with Jeezy before, some of the earlier stuff, and it was a little corny. Hmm. But by the BMF era came. And, yeah, what was and like when started, BMF hit and, the city. And C started bringing me Jeezy tape and Jeezy rapping. This is before that drama tape stuff happened. But this, hearing Jeezy on these rap, I'm like, ooh, ooh, that's Jeezy? The same one? About four years ago. Yeah, wasn't he going by Lil J back then? Man, it was night and day. But I mean, that happened with the, with artists. I mean, you see, he did a real 360 transformation. I was I was just blown away. I said, okay, he sound like Trick with the ad libs a little bit. But then I just started listening to talk that shit. I was like, damn, he coming. <laughs> and then the BMF thing started popping off. You know, you know, we in the 03, 02, 03, 04. You yeah. know, it's like, wow. You know, that whole. That whole thing, I kind of kept hands off, you know, because I didn't want to be caught up in nothing crazy. I, you know you know what it is. They used to come through, shots out of the blue and all of them, baby blue. Um, you know, it was some gangster shit, and they bought excitement. This was, To me, the BMF was the last era of the music excitement in Atlanta and me from, we talk about from late 80s to that, you know, those eras. Like it was not because those are the areas I've never seen or been been in like that ever. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff now is cool, is is tight, and I'm pretty sure if I was 17, I might be feeling different, right? <laughs> but man, those eras just really help define Atlanta musically. You know what I'm saying? They, and and it has kept us rolling quietly 20 plus years in the game, running the game quietly. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, the, B, the BMF era was incredible. It was a lot of music, but Jeezy just really stood, he stood on the back of that and had Atlanta on his back. And he really gave you, it reminded me of like, when I was, when I, was when I first went to college, I heard the Illmatic album, Nas, I thought I was in New York. I had never been in New York. I thought of how Tim's. gave you that feeling. Or I had, or I, when I first heard the Chronic, I thought I was, you know, in the low rider. And Jeezy gave you that about Atlanta through that BMF era, man. I never heard nothing like that. And he killed it, hmm. hands down. It gave me goosebumps, like, it, just to hear that music at that time, he killed it. Yeah. He was on the Shot of Red, they was hand in hand. Oh yeah. Just on it. Yeah. On, they was on it, so. Do you remember the first time you met Gucci? <sighs> I, you know, I don't remember the first time I met Gucci, cause hmm. I met, you know, I know him, but I don't, I don't remember the first time. Hmm. I, I think probably at, um, God, I can't think of this. It's this club on the east side, which is now called Boats, but it was something else. 
And Smurf had a studio over that way, and he Gucci would be over there too. I met him at the club. I do remember being at one club back in the day before he really jumped, jumped off. But shouts out to Gucci, because hands down. Gucci and Future, to me, after Jeezy, they hands down. Hands down, they, as far as an artist, it really, and Lil Baby now. Oh, Lil yeah. Baby kind of is really carrying that type of, of torch to me too, in terms of you know being a, a round, well-rounded artist and an influencing artist that's really making an impact and really giving you Atlanta from where he stay at. Yeah. What do you think is some of the keys you know that Atlanta has to be able to keep this run going for like you said 20 plus years? This is longer run than New York had. Quietly, right? I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's something unique. It's like, you know, you see an artist, whoever it may be, and you just know, oh, they got that. Just, it's just that type of shit. And, the, and this city is like that. It's just like, and it's for a lot of different reasons. Everybody say the Olympics, but musically, the music jump off and the Freednik jump off to me really bought that, really ushered in. It just, musically, it just really created that energy, synergy, excuse me, that, that's I can't even describe and it still goes on yeah it's like here was there ever a moment when you sat back was like damn Atlanta is it oh absolutely like, like you say when, like when being you in Japan, here listen being in Japan and I'm looking around here east side west side and I'm looking at all these folks that I can't talk to and they saying that shit east side whole room full of Asian folks turned up I'm like wow all this shit we've been working on in the apartment or in the bedroom, we like, look at this, you know, look, looking around like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, it's surreal. Ooh. That's how I felt. Do you feel like you get your props for, you know, the work you've done for Atlanta? A little bit. When people see me, yeah. But, you know, in terms of what's being said now, I know I got to do more podcasts. I know I got to start writing because people are not going to get it and they don't understand. They only get a little bit of what's going on. And now we're at the point now where we got to really start telling the stories more. Yeah. Like every, all of us, whether it's DJ Toomp, whether it's Kurt and Rashida, whether, like all these people are important. That's what had made it. It ain't just these folks. It's a whole thing of Atlanta. That's, Absolutely. that's why Atlanta's still going, because of all of these different legs and parts. Real shit. So now we got to just start telling more. And, that, and that's, that's what we have to do. Yeah. Do you care about getting your props? I care about people knowing it. You know, okay. but that is possible knowing it, you know, the world knowing it. They can understand the story and say all these people are involved. It ain't no different than, you know, New York, you got Grandmaster Flash, Cat, you know, you got these different people, Bambada, you gotta know your history of the music and the regions. Yeah. How have you, uh, you know, been able to remain not getting burnt out on this? I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I'm a fan of music. I love music. And, and it's just more than just Atlanta music. I just love music. And um, that's how I've been. I mean, I've done stuff with country singers, all kind of stuff, just because I love music. Probably that's what it is. It's my release. Now, the business itself or the people in the business of you, I get burnt out from that. Okay. But in terms of just whether it's breaking artists, helping artists, or DJing, where you DJing at right now? Um, I, do, I do a lot of special events. Okay. I'm involved with um, a festival um, that I started with a couple of partners of mine. It's called Weirdo Fest, where basically it's like artists that aren't of Atlanta norm, because they have to have outlet too, musically. Um, I, everywhere, man. I, um, V103, of course, radio station, Atlanta Hawks, 
um, tailgates for them, um, a little bit of everything, man. Uh, did a lot of Red Bull stuff. I mean, I'm a DJ for the first DJ for the rugby team here in Atlanta. Oh, wow. Last year, yeah, just different stuff. Yeah. I'm always into different stuff. That's the thing. Yeah. But as a DJ, I was just that person that was like, hey, world, y'all need to hear Atlanta because this is shit. It's for real, you know. And people used to laugh at me back in the early 90s when I traveled DJing because they thought it was the countryest shit ever, <laughs> the most fucked up sounding shit ever. But that's just how the game goes. That's how it works, man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So what's next for DJ Jelly? Um, man, probably more like doing documentaries and movie, man. Because like I said, man, I, I got to get other people involved and we got to really start explaining and telling these stories yeah. so people can understand the world. And in the books of history, we got to do that. We got to preserve, and we got to give everybody props in Atlanta. Everybody. I'm glad you're able to remember half of this shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now I wasn't on hardcore drugs, but I love the women. But I wasn't on drugs, so I said, "Thank God for that." <laughs> Thank God I got a gazillion babies either. So, but yeah, man, it's it's been a blessing. Yeah. All right, Jelly guys, shout outs you like to give before you wrap it up here, bro. Um, shout out to everybody, um, all my people. You've heard a lot of the names in this interview. Those are my folks. It's really too many people to really name at this at this time. Uh, make sure you follow me, DJ Jelly, the number four and real um, on IG, the real DJ Jelly on TikTok. And um, man, just just stay healthy and stay blessed and and use that tool like Kujo said right here. That power of thought. It's nothing like it ever in the, in the world. Shouts out to God.